Hi there, friends, and welcome back to your favorite storytelling podcast, Tales from a Cult Insider. I am your insider, your host with the toast who tries not to boast and has flown coast to coast, Jared Garrett. Uh, I'm a poet, and I sure know it. Okay. As most of you wonderful listeners know by now, I was born and raised in the Process Church of the Final Judgment, a very large and ominous name for one of the more infamous cults in the UK and the USA for a little while in the 60s and 70s. The cult did morph over the years, uh, becoming the foundation faith of God for a long time, and eventually turning into Best Friends Animal Society. And I'm here to tell you all about growing up in this somewhat strange, secretive, religious commune. I grew up not as a communist, but as a commune member. Unwilling, former cultist, is on my resume. It's actually not, but it is in my bio as an author. Uh, as always, your questions will be answered. I'd love to get you to ask me them via Facebook or Twitter or email. Just Google Jared Garrett. Also, email Jared at Jared Garrett with your comments and questions. Had a several people reach out this week with... Um, some comments and some really nice supportive things had uh, quite a few questions come through. And uh, as you may have noticed, um, inside of a week, we got two sponsors. I don't know what's happening, my friends, but I bet I owe it all to you. Thank you so much for listening. I cannot thank you enough. We're, uh, I'm certainly open to more sponsors. I've got bills to pay. I've got mouths to feed. I believe that's a song. Um, Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for those of you who are sharing with your friends. Those of you who aren't sharing this with your friends, what's your deal? I mean, it's not like it's going to hurt you to tell anybody. Okay, I'll stop. I, I don't want to guilt you. No, really, though, thank you so much. I I can't thank you enough for your, your support, your kind comments, the questions that have been very interesting and got my brain firing on multiple cylinders. Uh, and uh, well, let's get right into it. So we actually have a couple of questions today. Um, one from somebody I don't know and one from somebody I do. So first off, uh, one comes from Alan in Rochester, New York. And the other question comes from James B., my guy, my good friend in Wisconsin. I'm sorry, I can't say Wisconsin any other way. Alan asked, did you celebrate birthdays? Well, short answer, yeah. Um, I, I kind of... I kind of think maybe I should make a whole episode about that. Maybe I won't. I don't know. I think I might have mentioned this, but I sometimes mix up this podcast with my memoir. The podcast goes deeper into detail on some stories, and the memoir goes deeper into detail on some other uh, events from the light, from my life. Um, both are not particularly linear, though. The um, Yeah, we celebrated birthdays. We weren't Jehovah's Witnesses, um, I believe. Did I get that right? Gosh, I hope I got that right. I don't want to be rude or mean. Um, and so uh, birthdays actually in Dallas after, you know, arriving there. And um, as you know, I talked about that recently. I found out that, that birthdays were huge highlights for uh, the kids there. And I was really happy to join in on those highlights. Up until then, my birthdays had been underwhelming uh, at best. My worst birthday was when I turned five. And got iced, I think I said this once, oversweetened iced coffee for my treat. Um, heart in the right place, I guess, uh, people in charge of Jared. But I never drank coffee again. I hate this stuff. Ooh, the whole the whole notion and smell of it just makes me want, makes my stomach churn. 
Um, birthdays were great. Birthdays were fun. And I think I will dev- devote some uh, an episode to the good stuff. Um, I'm going to pause this. You won't notice, but I'll be right back. And for you, a second has passed. But for me, a whole minute passed while I took some notes on my notepaper here. Uh, notepaper being my computer screen. I wanted to answer one more question, and this is from James B., again, my guy in Wisconsin. And he asked, did you have difficulty trusting others from this experience? If so, how did you overcome this? First question, easy answer. I really did. I had, uh, I've always had trust issues, um, especially with adults when I was younger. Um, how did I overcome it? Um, that is the story of my faith uh, and my faith journey, um, which I'm not going to share a bunch of here, but uh, it's been a matter of me uh, partnering with um, who I consider my God um, and seeing me as clay to be molded and trying my best to never be finished with becoming better. So, um, I want to just mention a couple of things in kind of in the area of support from people who are listening. I don't want this to be navel gazy. I just want to point out that, um, due to your listens, your sharing, your talking about this, what this podcast, which is, I'm just having a great time with. In December, today is December 12th, the day I'm recording this, I already have more listens, more total listens across all episodes than I do for all of November. That's right, December, not even halfway through, has already got November beat by a bit of a margin for total listens. The subscriber number is going up. Thank you. Let's get to the stories. Today's episode, as you noticed, is called Miles of Trenches. This is because we're going to talk about trenches. We're going to talk about the summers that we Dallas kids, and we were, I mean, we were all the kids at this point, would spend uh, in the ranch, which was purchased in Southern Utah. So let's talk just a little bit about that history, just to remind you of some of the context. So of course the cult moved around a lot. They were nomadic. Did we not have money for rent? At some times that didn't seem like we did. We already talked about that, but they did have money at some point to purchase a very nice uh, secluded valley ranch in near Kirkland, uh, uh, Arizona, which was semi-near to uh, Prescott, Arizona. Beautiful, beautiful ranch. Boy, I love that. I think it's just just singularly special in the way it's situated uh, in the, the large orchards and the really pretty little lake. I thought it was really pretty down there when I worked there. It, they grew out, they grew out or outgrew that really quickly. They were, they were always doing animal rescue, the cult, um, and the people in the cult. There was always a big part of who they were, was love for animals, regard and respect for them. I saw a lot of, uh, PETA newsletters on the bulletin board at best friends long before all of you, uh, or a lot of other people had heard of best friends back when it was still fairly culty, um, which it isn't at all now, of course. So, um, I saw a lot of them, PETA newsletters and bulletins and interesting things on their cork boards uh, at the village there at Best Friends. Uh, if you have been a volunteer at Best, Best Friends, you should, yeah, there, there used to be a bulletin board out uh, past the kitchens where I don't think many of you go. Um, and it would have these neat pictures and images and these bulletins and stuff. This is before PETA became unhinged, of course. So, um, they... Out through the ranch in Arizona, they went to look around looking and praying and doing all kinds of very special rituals, I guess, to find a new home, a place that would be kind of their their spiritual and physical home for good. They found this an immense uh, ranch just north of Kanab, Utah, um, called Kanab Canyon, 
they purchased it with some money, which I guess they got from Boy. Uh, magazine subscriptions and fundraising efforts, sending the people out, of course, onto the streets to ask for money to support the efforts. Um, and they purchased this, again, giant, giant area. It's got canyons and like slot canyons and river canyons. And it's got these giant mesas and buttes. Beautiful, beautiful land. Boy, howdy. And they put it to use really well. Remember, these? this thing was founded by uh, folks who... Um, you know, who had a strong education. They, they were, they were blue bloods. They, they'd kind of grown up in, in, a, in a slightly rarefied society in England and they were well-educated. They had skills, architecture, art, etc. And so they, they were able to use those skills and then also learn a lot and learn on the job and figure out how to do things in a really interesting and cool way. Upon their purchase of the ranch in, Arizona, in, in, in Kanab or near Kanab, they started moving operations from, from Arizona and um, within... I think within a couple of years, they started having the older kids go out. I think at the time they were having just the teenagers on up, like 13 or 14 on up, go out every summer to uh, camp there. Uh, in some cases, they would like stay in the bunkhouse. But after a while, they were, not, they were shipping out enough kids. They didn't have space. So to set up tents in an area, some kind of flat area, free of scrub brush and uh, sage and cedar and all that and, and juniper, and then spend a couple months there, camped at Best Friends, um, helping get things going, helping build things. The first time I went, I was 12. And I was pretty young, but um, the way it works, it worked was they would pack us all up into one of the many vans that was owned by the cult. Uh, Dallas particularly had several vans. We would take all the seats out of the, the big 15-passenger van, except for the very front bench, uh, so that some people could sit, and we'd do a regular rotation for the seated bench part. Uh, we'd throw a bunch of uh, sleeping bags and blankets and pillows and stuff in the very back, and everybody would just kind of crash around and roll around in the very back, uh, or in the back of the van, while we would take basically a thousand-mile road trip from Dallas to Kanab. And it was kind of fun. I mean, all things considered, when you're when your life consists of doing the same thing over and over again with the same people over and over again for your whole life, and that's basically all you've done even though you've moved a lot. These are all the people you ever really interact with, especially by the time we were in faith school. Uh, this kind of variety was was a fun and exciting thing, except for that the excitement would wear off after the tents were set up and we uh, were there for two or three days and we'd been working our butts off in the incredible heat of southern of the high desert of southern Utah doing all kinds of work. The first thing I ever did for best friends, uh, or and I called it the foundation at the time because it was much more cult than, than animal rescue, uh, was uh, I helped dig miles of trenches. So let me describe the process. We would arrive in Kanab, uh, usually in the evening. We could see that we were getting near Kanab to the ranch. We could see that we were getting near because there were these beautiful red cliffs and white cliffs out just off in the distance. So we'd know that we were getting close. And so we'd all kind of perk up and look out. And then Jason, who would often be the one driving the van, would pull off the Highway 89 in Utah after going past the Coral Pink Sand Dunes, hang a left onto the, uh, basically the county road, which was a, just a really rough gravel road at the time, drive down quite a ways, maybe half a mile to a mile, uh, on the left, we'd pass the dog area, and then we'd keep going, and then he'd hang, hang a right uh, and go down to where the cats are now, uh, which are, and it was, that's where cats were at the time as well, and 
he'd pull up, kind of pull into this area that he could pull off and let people drive by and stuff. And we would all deploy from the van with some speed and efficiency, unload everything from the top and the back. We'd set up all of our tents. And now we would probably be at least two to a tent, usually up to four up to, to a tent, depending on the size and your lack of luck or your just lack of clout. Uh, since I was one of the juniors for most of the years, I shared a tent with at least two other guys every time. I think probably it was me, Mark, Manuel, and Isaac every time, so probably the four of us. Um, and yeah, it gets a little cozy with some of those restless sleepers. And uh, so there's uh, that's how we do it. We deploy, we'd set up all the tents, often in the dark or with headlights shining or with flashlights shining. Um, or just by starlight. We got really good at setting up those tents. And they're not the, the tents that you have today, my friends. No, no, no. These were not dome tents that you slip those bendy uh, poles through. These were like pole, these, these long, straight, stiff metal rods. And you have to hook them into this grommet and that grommet and hook them into this other thing. And it was a mess. But we got good at it. We'd pack it, put all of our sleeping bags in. And then we'd usually crash for the night after going over to one of the buildings there uh, and getting ourselves cleaned up a little bit, but sometimes we would just go to bed because it was late. Um, certainly there'd be shouting, yelling, prank playing, and all kinds of things because after all, yes, we were kids. Uh, we'd wake up in the morning and um, event at some point we'd get up to the, to the village, which was just up the hill from where we would camp. Uh, usually we could just walk up. It'd take like 10, five, 10 minutes to walk up the hill. Uh, the road, and there's even a hill you could just hike up just to the right of the road. Get up to the village with its astonishing view out the back, out of the big common room. The, they had put in these unreal, uh, huge glass doors and windows. Of course, that was after the second or third year. The first year, the village didn't exist. Um, part of what we did was actually do infrastructure. When I say infrastructure, I mean... We dug trenches. I mean miles, literally miles of trenches. Uh, we were Our directive was to build them 18 inches deep or dig them 18 inches deep. And um, that way long PVC pipe, water supply pipe, would be able to be laid in that and connect the bunkhouse to um, water supply coming from down below where there was an egg sunk into a, a water uh table. I don't know why the word was fleeing me for a minute there. And it, it was kind of a crazy image. So I want to, I want to describe that image for you in vivid detail. Okay. Imagine you have 12 kids of varying ages, physical sizes, physical capabilities, uh, all kinds of looks and everything and appearances and, and builds. Imagine you have 12 of them. And that's a rough number. Uh, all in a row spaced about probably four or five feet apart, each of us with a spade shovel, which we had probably that morning used linseed oil on the wooden handle to treat so that it would hold up to the weathering of, again, the high desert of southern Utah. We're all in a row. We've, we're following uh, essentially stakes that have been hammered into the ground with often just plain brown twine tied to the top. And we'd follow this line that had been laid out for up to miles sometimes, um, which is where the trench was supposed to go. And we would dig, guys. We would just go. It would be a fairly steady movement. It wasn't like, um, I've been working on the railroad, all, whatever. It wasn't any of that. And it wasn't, hi-ho, hi-ho. 
it's off to school or whatever. It's not, it wasn't any of that. It was everybody just working their best, working hard, uh, sweating a lot, getting some good sunburns. Some of us were smart enough. And by us, I mean, not me. Some of us were smart enough to um, like put on some sunscreen, which I rarely did as a child, which is stupid. Uh, hello, melanoma. I know you're in my future. Um, and some also were smart enough to somehow have acquired a hat with a back flap for the neck or just a wide brimmed hat. After I wised up, uh, after a couple of years, I ended up uh, stuffing one of those handkerchiefs, kind of hanging it from the back of my cap. So it would, you know, I'd be protected from the sun, but that was only after like two years of getting a lot of sunburns in my arms and neck and back or back of my neck and stuff. So, um, yeah, we, we would just dig. And so, a line of kids in varying degrees of uh, fitness, and we'd be mostly be wearing either shorts or we'd be wearing jeans. Uh, we were often told to make sure that we wore closed-toed shoes, but that's really what all of us had. We all had two pairs of shoes at most. Uh, that would be a pair of sneakers that was uh, waning in quality and strength very quickly, um, and also a pair of shoes that we would sometimes wear on Sunday, which were darker shoes. Uh, sometimes they were just darker sneakers, but I mean, I... As far as I can remember, I wore my sneakers most of the time for Sunday. Um, and we would just dig, you know, put the foot in, dig into the ground, pull up a bunch of dirt and sand. And it wasn't just loose sand. This was we'd dig through and around uh, um, roots and stuff. We would not vary because, one, one we had to follow the line or we'd get, we'd get yelled at. Two, um, it, it, PVC's kind of flexible, but it doesn't bend that well. You know what I'm saying? It has to go relatively straight. You can have a very gentle curve. And that was it. We were the work crew. We didn't actually have an adult supervisor. So we'd have an adult take us or lead us to where we need, we were going to be working after picking up our tools and say, go to it, work hard. And that was that. And so usually the oldest of that work crew would be kind of the foreman or forewoman for the day. Um, often that ended up being Adam. He was very good at inspiring work. I don't know why. And it wasn't out of fear. He just, he, we just, he had a good attitude about it, even though I know he hated it and the rest of us did too. He got us working. Part of it was probably the fact that he always made sure he had batteries for his boom box. Now, kids, a boom box is one of those old things that people would carry around uh, that had speaker, it had a handle and it had speakers, one on each side. It was kind of a rectangle with a handle that flipped up and down and you could get the radio on it and you could put tapes in it and it would get pretty loud. That's why it was called a boom box. He always made sure he had batteries for his boom box and he made sure that it was always well taken care of and he would bring it along and he would make sure we listened to music while working. Uh, to this day, every time I'm doing any kind of work, I am listening to something. Sometimes it's music. Sometimes it's audiobooks, and sometimes, like you, it's podcasts. Uh, we listened to, and I'm just going to name a few, uh, Echo and the Bunnymen, Danzig, Big Country, Ministry, uh, The Clash, Big Audio Dynamite, uh, Van Halen, a lot of Van Halen. They were a good rock and roll to work to. He would just keep it going. He was like our DJ plus foreman. He got us going, and we would work pretty fast. Friends, I remember starting near the bunkhouse. No, 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 we started far away. We started like a half a mile from the bunkhouse in the morning. And by lunchtime, we had gotten to the bunkhouse um, with our digging. And it was a crew of 10 or 12 of us kids just flying. We made we all, we all, made our pile of dirt all on the exact same side of the trench because we had to. It made it easier to fill it in once the pipe was laid. 
um, we had a, a, a couple of uh, yardsticks in, that we would use to measure the depth, and we could not be anything less than 18 inches, and a little bit of variation was fine, but not too much variance because that was not enough support for the pipe. And um, boy, we went to town. Uh, so miles of trenches there. I also dug miles of trenches between uh, the dog area, which I think is called Dogtown now. Had a show named after it on Discover Channel for a while about some pit bulls rescued from Michael Vick. Uh, that was on Netflix for a while. The kids and I uh, really liked watching that. The kids and, the, and, and Henry, my wife and I, we enjoyed watching that. It was a lot of fun. I recommend it if it's still there on Netflix. Uh, hey, no, Netflix, you want to sponsor me? Ah, ha, ha, I kid. I don't. You may sponsor me. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so that's one fun image. Uh, this row of kids, you know, back in, wow, gosh, it was, it was um, the mid, mid to late 80s wearing what you would expect from us. You know, the shorts were not the long, fashionable shorts. I, and they weren't my cargo shorts. Cargo shorts, they were some pretty short shorts sometimes. Um, not those like sexy tight short shorts or anything like show off a ton of your buttock or anything. I'm talking about those loose ones. I'll stop there. You're getting enough of an image and it's probably unpleasant. Okay. So that's one uh, work crew. Now, I said work crew because sometimes we weren't divided into work crews when we were down there. Um, we were often given all kinds of different jobs. And next episode, episode 11, um, I'm going to give you a quick, it's not a spoiler, but a tease. It's called Dogs, Their Poo, and Me. And it's going to be an, a whole episode. And I want you to just kind of predict what you think it's going to be about. It's pretty much about that, friends. Spoiler alert. Uh, not a spoiler, though. That's a huge part of my life. Like, it's so funny to be able to sincerely, honestly say that the phrase dogs, their poo, and me is such a huge part of my life. But we were divided into work crews. I spent um, my first two years about most of my work days were actually spent on these work crews. And then other days, even for, for a week at a time, I would be assigned to work with Enoch who happened to be my father. That's not his name today, friends. I'll get his permission to name him for real uh, if he wants, if, if he permits me to on this podcast. Um, he was one of the general handymen uh, of best friends, actually. He mastered a lot of different, uh, very critical skills to um, building infrastructure and maintaining it. He became an accomplished plumber um, and pretty good at building things and uh, very good at laying uh, pipe uh, and uh, putting in flooring and walls and stuff like that. So for a couple of years, he was heavily involved in laying water supply. And so at one summer, um, I spent, uh, it seemed like several weeks, we worked below the village. Um, so the, the village, this new, it was newer after a couple of years. It's at the top of a I guess you could call it a cliff. It's a, it's a cliff, sure. It's got a drop off. Uh, looking out over this, the entire canyon, right? It, it, the vista is astonishing. It, it blows everybody's minds. It's, it's God's creation at its finest. Um, beautiful textured land uh, and, and really a great view. Um, but un, it drops off. And when I say drops off, it doesn't. I don't mean a sheer straight cliff all the way to the bottom. I mean, it rolls kind of down a little ways, down a slope, and then it hits this drop off which is um, sandstone that's been formed into this very beautiful curvy um, stone. And then it curves in and then it curves under. And then it's got this really neat kind of amphitheater alcove effect there that goes, that's quite wide and quite big. Uh, below that, um, kind of near where um, there were some horse fields and stuff, 
my dad and I, um, and I didn't call him dad or anything. I called him Enoch. Um, we worked together. He apparently had made sure he got me as his assistant. We spent a couple weeks, up to a month even, sinking an egg into the water. Not a septic tank or anything like that. It was a water supply egg. And drilling into the cliff where he had somehow figured out was where the water table was. How he did that, I don't know, man. But we got really deep in there and we stuck some pipes in there and tapped the freaking water table. I like we maybe he I remember there were some springs that were really light light and you could sort of maybe you could sort of triangulate in from these springs to say hey there's a water table here but there really was and so we tapped in and we shoved these pipes in and they led into this uh, sunken giant very tough PVC egg and we called it an egg because it was shaped like an egg but it I think it was a 500 or thousand gallon tank sunk it we had sunk it deep into the ground having a guy named Virgil who had used a a backhoe to, to dig it, um, or maybe it's a power shovel, I don't know, to dig it, dig this really deep hole. We had put this egg in there, we set up a pump in it, we set up all this pipe that would draw water from the water table into the egg, and it would go through this pump and be pumped up, 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 that cliff area, kind of going in a slightly roundabout way to hit the village. I don't know if that's the same water infrastructure that they still use to this day, but for many years, yes, guys, I was involved in helping supply water to one of the main buildings of Best Friends. And we did more of that. My dad and I, again, you know, looking back, he really did make an effort to have me work side by side. We put in, wow, we put in toilets um, at the lake house, which uh, that's a story in and of itself, which I probably ought to make note of. Um, we, uh, we actually ended up doing redoing work that the, the crew of kids had done years before. Um, and I'm making notes while we, while I talk, you know, how we had built those miles, dug those miles and miles of trenches. We, um, my, my father, uh, Enoch and Virgil and I, and Virgil's dogs, uh, we were a work crew for a summer, most of a summer where we went from Dogtown, which is what it's called now, all the way to gosh, near the village, getting water supply pipe, um, finding it, and we had a pretty good idea of where it was, finding it, digging uh, a, a hole that was three feet deep right next to it and dropping it three down into that three-foot trench uh, that the backhoe was digging um, so that it was no longer only 18 inches deep but three feet deep because, yes, it's the high desert, but it got really cold and those water pipes would freeze. And there was also electrical running along it, and so we had to be really careful so that we didn't um, hit the electrical and get electrocuted. There was there were a couple of times that we were kind of uh, getting, we were near the Dogtown area that um, we had to use our shovels. And so my father, Enoch, he, he said a couple of times, okay, Jared, I have to dig around and use my shovel for this part. Uh, there is electrical right along the pipe. If I seize up and kind of freeze but start to shake a little bit, don't touch me beyond... Uh, tackling me with your shoulder, just knock me off. Don't don't hold me. Don't grab me. Knock me hard as you can, so I lose my grip, uh, and the electrical current goes out of me. Like, really? Not luckily, that never happened, which was fantastic. But during that summer, I learned to drive the backhoe. Uh, Virgil let me give it a give it a whirl, um, and had built a bit of a relationship with my dad. Um, and, and you know, I that's got to be part of why I'm not completely hopeless. Um, I mean, there are lots of other really good reasons why I came out of that not entirely hopeless and not entirely non-functional. Uh, my father, 
has got to be one of the reasons why. Um, thanks, Dad. From I can't say it better. Just thank you for that. Um, get a little emotional. So, um, yeah, there, we did so many other things. Man, we I hung drywall. I mudded, uh, filled in cracks from drywall. Um, I helped do a bit of framing. I did a fair bit of roofing. Um, did a lot of doghouse building. Got okay with saws and tools and stuff. Uh, I, 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 uh, actually from one of my more chill days, I actually ended up getting to just sit with cats and be some loving comfort for them. Um, and so that leads me to what'll be an episode in the future. I'll call it some of the good stuff. There was good stuff. It was sucky to work that hard and really work a lot. But, um, that was, I mean, you can't really put a price tag on learning the, the ability that you can just work like crazy. Um, that uh, exhaustion won't stop you or anything like that. So next episode will be about dogs, their poo, and me. And I'll, least, I'll talk a little bit more about the routine of uh, their being there at Best Friends and um, and stuff. And then after that, we'll talk a bit more about the skills and stuff that, that I gained from, from doing all that work. For now, we're going to end. We're at about our half hour. Uh, I want to point out that there's a link there. Uh, if you want to support this podcast... Man, I'd be interested in you uh, doing that. You can just drop a penny in there, a dime, buy my next hot cocoa, uh, pay for uh, pay for a dozen eggs or something for my kids. Thank you so much for listening. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies. Tune in next time for episode eleven: Dogs, Their Poo, and Me. I will never grow tired of that of that title. See you guys soon. Thanks a bunch.